Hey everybody. <clears throat> hey everybody. This is Mike Leach, and you're listening to a little literature. Sure. Thank you very much to our good friend Abdul the Magnificent for recording this week's Sure. That's two weeks in a row, pretty good, with uh, guest Sure audio clips. If anybody else feels like recording themselves saying the word sure and emailing it to a little lit, a little lit at gmail.com, I'd really appreciate it. Also, uh, nobody from Australia has emailed me yet. I feel like I've brought this up on the last couple of podcasts. If you live in Australia and you listen to this show, just... Shoot me a quick little, uh, jot me a line, show me a little talk about what it's like to live in, the, that continent. I'm interested. Um, tell me about Tasmania. People forget about Tasmania, but that's a place. It's cool. Um, I was about to show off. Uh, everything I know about Tasmania and then I realize it's like one thing um, it's just a big park basically uh, the whole country is just like a big park of like a, a city or two I don't even know if that's true it's probably not true anyway uh, thanks everybody speaking of our listeners in Australia thank you for everyone who listens to this show I've Notice that uh, slowly but surely we're getting more and more listeners every week. And uh, it's not because I know how to uh, promote the show. Lord knows. So it must be uh, word of mouth. I appreciate that. Um, please continue telling your friends and family, um, clergy about the show and uh rate us on itunes if you feel like it write us a little review i guess that helps us to be more visible to new listeners um and yeah can pat yourselves on the back for uh for keeping your your minds and your hearts open and nimble uh to uh new ideas and uh, uh, stories of, of characters different from yourselves um, even though reading uh, can be pretty boring and uh, it's kind of for dorks uh, but it's good for us you know even though uh, even though sometimes we hate it we hate every minute of it and we'd rather be doing anything else it makes our soul grow hey that's a little uh there's some foreshadowing there you'll see in a minute uh what did, we got it we get some emails yeah we got emails emails we get emails we get sacks and sacks of emails emails I'm a little sniffly this week does my voice sound uh, lower? Barry White-esque? Sultry? Impressively uh, masculine? 
Um, what do we got here? Uh, oh, our good friend, of course, Abdul the Magnificent sent us that video, or that audio clip. He also uh, included an email. Subject line, um, subject line intentionally left blank. I love it. Um, he says, hey Dan, which in a later email he explained, he, he meant to say Mike. Should I read that email? No, that's just a little one. Um, hey Dan, fun fact, one of my professors this semester is named Dan. Wow, really messed that one up, Abdul. Uh, I know it's been a while since I last contributed to our podcast. I think it's kind of neat to find a podcast where you can be part, that you can be part of. Thanks go to Dan Leach. Uh, good news, Dad told me he subscribed to, quote, the thing, according to his way of putting it. Bad news, Dad doesn't understand English. Anyway, I just wanted to keep my promise, you know? Uh, I appreciate that, Abdul. On the other hand, I'd like to thank you for convincing me that being able to fly is not the first on the list of the supernatural powers that would be cool to have thing. And I agree with you. The ability to control time is way cooler than flying. My next recommendation is everyday use by I made a note of that. This time I won't push you to read it. By the way, how do we send you a voice note on email? Well, you clearly figured it out. I haven't done that thing before. Sincerely, Abdul the Magnificent. Um, P.S. Can we use, in quotes, on the other hand, even if it wasn't preceded by on the one hand? I'd like to hear your take on that. I think that's fine. I think everybody knows what you're talking about. Um, maybe it's not quite uh, grammatic. Would, it, would this even be uh, considered a grammar question? I don't think so. But everybody knows what you, you mean, and uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't sweat it. Just uh, go with your gut. Just try to. Try to say what uh, comes naturally to you. You know, we all we all have different uh, uh, inner monologues. We all have our own unique voice, narrative tone, and it's a beautiful thing when we all just uh, let them out. Un. Uh, okay, uh, Linda Leach. Uh, writes, Mom Leach, I should say. Subject line, I am concerned you don't know who Irma Bombeck is. Um, body of the email. Number one, ask your dad about Irma Bombeck. A phase! Exclamation point. I will. Never heard of her before in my life. Um, number two, asbestos ranch house. Dan and Carly's house has asbestos siding, and ranch is the style of a one-story like they have. I see. So wait, is this the siding is made of asbestos, or there? Okay, there maybe there's asbestos underneath the siding as insulation. I don't know. Maybe th three, four more podcast episodes, and I'll have this one figured out. Uh, and number three. You didn't read the rest of my email last week asking everyone to help me figure out the settings with soundtrack. I think you mean SoundCloud. I didn't even notice there was more to that email. 
but everybody, if you guys know how to use SoundCloud, my mom is having trouble getting notifications when I post a new episode. Um, so please write in a little lid at gmail.com. Let me know how that works. Uh, for the sake of Mom Leach. And then finally we have an email from uh, Big Brother Dan Leach. No subject. Uh, pretty baller move there. Uh, the body of the email reads, My dear TJ Junso, if I could have any magic power, it would probably be... You know those moments when you shake your head in disgust over a random embarrassing memory from your past? Something stupid you might have said or done as a teenager, maybe? Well, my superpower would be to the ability to travel back in time to the precise moment after those instances occurred, so I can gently pull myself aside and say something like, Little Danny, what you just said was obviously dumb, and it's natural to feel embarrassed. But when this memory pops back in your head 20 years from now, try not to sweat it too much. Everybody makes mistakes from time to time. That's all just part of the human experience. Then after, if there's extra time, maybe drop in on an old teacher and say hi. As far as my favorite pizza topping goes, that's a tough one, and really all depends on which establishment is making it, but probably gum. P.S. Who would win in a fair fight, Joe Buck or Randy Quaid? Well, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to say Joe Buck. I think Randy Quaid is the the easy answer because he seems like a larger, uh, more ferocious man. But I, I think Joe Buck is uh, he's a live wire. He's ready to snap. And uh, God knows what he's capable of. Emails, we get emails, we get sacks and sacks of emails. Emails! This week we're gonna read, oh my word, one of my favorite authors of all time, Kurt Vonnegut. A wonderful writer, uh, an American author best known for the novels Cat's Cradle. Slaughterhouse-Five and Breakfast of Champions. Um, was born November 1st, or November 11th, 1922. Emerged as a novelist and essayist in the 1960s. Uh, he is known for his satirical literary style as well as the science fiction elements in much of his work. Vonnegut died in New York City on April 11th, 2017. Uh, and incidentally, the, the top song on uh, the billboard charts that week don't matter by uh, akon nobody wanna see us together then no matter no cause i got you uh kurt Vonnegut, endlessly quotable i got a couple of good quotes of his here uh i urge you to please notice when you are happy and exclaim or murmur or think at some point, if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. That's a lovely sentiment. Is sentiment the right word there? I don't care enough to uh, look it up and find out. If you are an American, you must allow all ideas to circulate freely in your community, not merely your own. Amen. 
especially these days, that's an important lesson to uh, learn. That, um, we're all uh, free country, free speech. So, uh, the arts are not a way to make a living. They are a very human way of making life more bearable. Practicing an art, no matter how well or badly, is a way to make your soul grow. Remember that? Uh, for heaven's sake. Sing in the shower, dance to the radio, tell stories, write a poem to a friend, even a lousy poem. Do it as well as you possibly can. You will get an enormous reward. You will have created something. I uh, couldn't agree more. And finally, boys go to college to get more knowledge. Girls go to Jupiter to get more stupider. Oh, that one I feel like is a little childish. Um, are we ready to do Yeah, let's do this. Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. They always go by Jr.? I'm looking at a book on my shelf there. I don't see a junior on there. Is this a different guy? The year was 2081 and everybody was finally equal. They weren't only equal before God and the law, they were equal every which way. Nobody was smarter than anybody else. Nobody was better looking than anybody else. Nobody was stronger or quicker than anybody else. All this equality was due to the 211th, 212th, and 213th Amendments to the Constitution, and to the unceasing vigilance of agents of the United States Handicapper General. Some things about living still weren't quite right, though. April, for instance, still drove people crazy by not being springtime, and it was in that clammy month that the H.G. men... H.G. men, handicapper general men, took George and Hazel Bergeron's 14-year-old son, 14-year-old son, Harrison, away. I think it's time for a drink. It's time for a drink, Mike poured from the sink. Sipping on some water, tell us what did you think? Very refreshing. Um... Uh, it's this this water has been sitting on the windowsill for uh, maybe 15 minutes, so it's it's not quite uh, refrigerator temp anymore, um, but it's not quite room temp either. It's in a nice little uh, Goldilocks zone uh, where it's very um, pleasant uh, to the palate. All right, uh, it was tragic, all right, but George and Hazel couldn't think about it very hard. Hazel had a perfectly average intelligence, which meant she couldn't think about anything except in short bursts. And George, while his intelligence was way above normal, had a little mental handicap radio in his ear. He was required by law to wear it at all times. It was tuned to a government transmitter. Every 20 seconds or so, the transmitter would send out some sharp noise to keep people like George from taking unfair advantage of their brains. George and Hazel were watching television. There were tears on Hazel's cheeks, but she'd forgotten for the moment what they were about. 
On the television screen were ballerinas. A buzzer sounded in George's head. His thoughts fled in panic, like bandits from a burglar alarm. That was a real pretty dance, that dance they just did, said Hazel. Huh? said George. That dance, it was nice, said Hazel. Yep, said George. He tried to think a little about the ballerinas. They weren't really very good, no better than anybody else would have been anyway. They were burdened with sash weights. Sash weights? Hey Siri, what's a sash weight? Okay, I found this on the web for what's the sash weight. Take a look. Pretty close. Um, sash weights. Is it just a sash? The weight of a sash? Ballerinas? It makes sense that a ballerina might wear a sash. Um, let's leave it at that. Uh, burden with sash weights and bags of birdshot, and their faces were masked so that no one, seeing a free and graceful gesture or a pretty face, would feel like something the cat drug in. George was toying with the vague notion, vague, vague, Karen always makes fun of me for how I say vague, vague, notion that maybe dancers shouldn't be handicapped, but he didn't get very far with it before another noise in his ear radio scattered his thoughts. Um, why don't you guys record yourself saying vague, 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 uh, send it to littlelit at gmail.com. Um, George winced, so did two of the eight ballerinas. Hazel saw him wince. Having no mental handicap herself, she had to ask George what the latest sound had been. Sounded like somebody hitting a milk bottle with a ball-peen hammer, said George. I'd think it would be real interesting hearing all the different sounds, said Hazel, a little envious. All the things they think up. Earn, said George. Only if I was Handicapper General, you know what I would do, said Hazel? Hazel, as a matter of fact, bore a strong resemblance to the Handicapper General. A woman named Diana Moon Glampers. It's uh, <laughs> a good name. If I was Diana Moon Glampers, said Hazel, I'd have chimes on Sunday. Just chimes. Kind of in honor of religion. I could think if it was just chimes, said George. Well, maybe make them real loud, said Hazel. I think I'd make a good handicapper general. Good as anybody else, said George. Who knows better than I do what normal is, said Hazel. Right, said George. He began to think glimmeringly about his abnormal son, who is now in jail, about Harrison. But a 21-gun salute in his head stopped that. Boy, said, buddy, just stay on the bed. Boy, said Hazel, that was a doozy, wasn't it? It was such a doozy that George was white and trembling, and tears stood on the rims of his red eyes. Two of the eight ballerinas had collapsed to the studio floor, were holding their temples. All of a sudden you look so tired, said Hazel. Why don't you stretch out on the sofa, so as you can rest your handicapped bag on the pillows, honey bunch? She was referring to the, tw the 47 pounds of birdshot in a canvas bag, which was padlocked around George's neck. Oh, okay. So the ballerinas had that. They were carrying the birdshot and canvas bags, and they had some sort of 
heavy sashes too. Um, sash weight. Uh, go on and rest the bag for a little while, she said. I don't care if you're not equal to me for a while. George weighed the bag with his hands. I don't mind it, he said. I don't notice it anymore. It's just a part of me. You've been so tired lately. Kind of wore me out, said Hazel. If there was just some way we could make a little hole in the bottom of the bag and just take out a few of them lead balls, just a few. Two years in prison and $2,000 fine for every ball I took out, said George. I don't call that a bargain. If you could just take a few out when you came home from work, said Hazel. I mean, you don't compete with anybody around here. You just sat around. If I, buddy, just stay on the, stay on the bed. If I, buddy, my cat's trying to crawl all over me. Uh, if I tried to get away with it, said George, then other people would get away with it, and pretty soon we'd be right back to the Dark Ages again, with everybody competing against everybody else. You wouldn't like that, would you? I'd hate it, said Hazel. There you are, said George. The minute people start cheating on laws, what do you think happens to society? If Hazel hadn't been able to come up with an answer to this question, George could have supplied one. A siren was couldn't have supplied one. A siren was going off in his head. Reckon it'd fall all apart, said Hazel. What would, said George blankly. Society, said Hazel uncertainly. Wasn't that what you just said? Who knows, said George. The television program was suddenly interrupted for a news bulletin. It wasn't clear at first as to what the bulletin was about, said, since the announcer, like all announcers, had a serious speech impediment. For about half a minute, and in a state of high excitement, the announcer tried to say, Ladies and gentlemen. He finally gave up, handed the bulletin to a ballerina to read. That's all right, Hazel said of the announcer. He tried, that's the big thing. He tried to do the best he could with what God gave him. He should get a nice raise for trying so hard. Ladies and gentlemen, said the ballerina, reading the bulletin, she must have been extraordinarily beautiful, because the mask she wore was hideous, and it was easy to see that she was the strongest and most graceful of all the dancers, for her handicap bags were as big as those worn by 200-pound men. And she had to apologize at once for her voice, which is, was a very unfair voice for a woman to use. Her voice was a warm, luminous, timeless melody. Excuse me, she said, and she began again, making her voice absolutely uncompetitive. Harrison Bergeron, age 14, she said in a grackle squawk, has just escaped from jail, where he was held on suspicion of plotting to overthrow the government. He is a genius and an athlete, is under-handicapped, and should be regarded as extremely dangerous. A police photograph of Harrison Bergeron was flashed on the screen upside down, then sideways, upside down again, then right side up. The picture showed the full length of Harrison against a background calibrated in feet and inches. He was exactly seven feet tall. The rest of Harrison's appearance... What? His son was seven feet tall? Full length of Harrison against a backdrop calibrated in feet and inches? Is that right? I guess that would make him, uh, uh, what's, uh, unique, um, un, 
what's the what am I thinking of competitive some word they said earlier doesn't matter uh, the rest of Harrison's appearance was Halloween and hardware nobody had ever borne heavier handicaps he had outgrown hindrances faster than the HG men could think them up instead of a little ear radio for a mental handicap he wore a tremendous pair of earphones and spectacles with thick wavy lenses the spectacles were intended to make him not only half-blind, but to give him wanging headaches besides. Scrap metal was hung all over him. Ordinarily, there was a certain symmetry, a military neatness to the handicaps issued to strong people, but Harrison looked like a walking junkyard. In the race of life, Harrison carried 300 pounds. And to offset his good looks... The HG men required that he wear at all times a red rubber ball for a nose, keep his eyebrows shaved off, and cover his even white teeth with black caps at Snaggletooth Random. If you see this boy, said the ballerina, do not, I repeat, do not try to reason with him. There was, a, there was the shriek of a door being torn from its hinges. Screams and barking cries of consternation came from the television set. The photograph of Harrison Bergeron on the screen jumped again and again, as though dancing to the tune of an earthquake. George Bergeron correctly identified the earthquake, and well he might have, for and well he might have, for many was the time his own home had danced to the same crashing tune. My God, said George, that must be Harrison. The realization was blasted from his mind instantly by the sound of an automobile collision in his head. When George could open his eyes again, the photograph of Harrison was gone. A living, breathing Harrison filled the screen. Clanking, clownish, and huge, Harrison stood in the center of the studio. The knob of the uprooted studio door was still in his hand. Ballerinas, technicians, music musicians, and announcers cowered on their knees before him, expecting to die. I am the Emperor, cried Harrison. Do you hear me? I am the Emperor. Everybody must do what I say at once, he stamped his foot, and the studio shook. Even as I stand here, he bellowed, crippled, hobbled, sickened, I am a greater ruler than any man who ever lived. Now watch me become what I can become. Harrison tore the straps of his handicap harness like wet tissue paper. Tore straps guaranteed to support 5,000 pounds. Harrison's scrap iron handicaps crashed to the floor. Harrison thrust his thumbs under the bar of the padlock that secured his head harness. The bar snapped like celery. Harrison smashed his headphones and spectacles against the wall. He flung away his rubber ball nose, revealed a man that would have awed Thor, the god of thunder. I shall now select my empress, he said, looking down on the cowering people. Let the first woman who dares rise to her feet claim her mate and her throne. A moment passed, and then a ballerina arose, swaying like a willow. Harrison plucked the mental handicap from her ear, snapped off her physical handicaps with marvelous delicacy. Last of all, he removed her mask. She was blindingly beautiful. Let's have another drink. It's time for a drink, Mike poured from the sink. Sipping on some water, tell us what did you think?
Took a slightly bigger gulp that time. Boy, I needed it. Let me tell you. The glass is uh, getting a little uh, condensation on the outside and a, a drip fell on my shirt. So that was a bit unpleasant. But otherwise, uh, pretty uh, overall positive experience. Now, said Harrison, taking her hand, shall we show the people the meaning of the word dance? Music, he commanded. The musicians scrambled back into their chairs and Harrison stripped them of their handicaps too. Play your best, he told them, and I'll make you barons and dukes and earls. The music began. It was normal at first, cheap, silly, false. But Harrison snatched two musicians from their chairs, waved them like batons as he sang the music as he wanted it played. He slammed them back into their chairs. The music began again and was much improved. It sounded like this. Nobody want to see us together, and they don't matter, no, cause I got you. Harrison and his empress, that was all in parentheses. Harrison and his empress merely listened to the music for a while, listened gravely as though synchronizing their heartbeats with it. They shifted their weights to their toes. Harrison placed his big hands on the girl's tiny waist, letting her sense the weightlessness that would soon be hers. And then, in an explosion of joy and grace, into the air they sprang. Not only were the laws of the land abandoned, but the law of gravity and the laws of motion as well. They reeled, whirled, swiveled, flounced, capered, gambled, gambled? and spun, G-A-M-B-O-L-E-D, and spun. Should I consult Siri? I don't want to. They leapt like deer on the moon. That's a beautiful sentence. Uh, the studio ceiling was 30 feet high, but each leap brought the dancers nearer to it. It became their obvious intention to kiss the ceiling. They kissed it. And then... Neutraling gravity with love and pure will, they remained suspended in air, inches below the ceiling, and they kissed each other for a long, long time. It was then that Diana Moon Clampers, the handicapper general, came into the studio with a double-barreled 10-gauge shotgun. She fired twice, and the emperor and the empress were dead before they hit the floor. Diana Moon Clampers loaded the gun again. She aimed it at the musicians and told them they had 10 seconds to get their handicaps back on. It was then that the Bergeron's television tube burned out. Hazel turned to comment about the blackout to George, but George had gone out into the kitchen for a can of beer. <laughs> uh, he just kind of forgot what he was watching, I guess, because um, of the sounds in his head. George came back in with the beer, paused while a handicapped signal shook him up, and then he sat down again. You been crying, he said to Hazel. Yep, she said. What about, he said. I forget, she said. Something real sad on television. What was it, he said. It's all kind of mixed up in my mind, said Hazel. Forget sad things, said George. I always do, said Hazel. That's my girl, said George. He winced. There was the sound of a riveting gun in his head. Gee, I could tell that that one was a doozy, said Hazel. You can say that again, said George. <laughs> Gee, said Hazel, I could tell that one was a doozy. 
she did say it again. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Uh, I had a fun little punchline at the end there. Uh, <laughs> pretty disturbing uh, climax that preceded it. Their son was murdered on television, and they didn't. Uh, they didn't even remember. Moments later, moved on with their lives. Wow, what a unique uh, and odd and funny uh, and unsettling story. What does it mean? Is there a, a moral? That we should all uh, strive to be the best we can be, um, and we shouldn't uh, limit ourselves to just to make other people feel better who might not be as gifted. Uh, or maybe it's like an anti-communist uh, kind of a deal. It's like uh, celebrating the individual and all of our um, complexities and uh, unique qualities. Um, don't not uh, maybe the moral is we should uh, not let the government um, tell us who how to how to be and who to. Uh, how to live our lives? I don't know. You guys are smarter than I am. Email me at a little lit at gmail.com. Tell me what that story is about. Even if it's not about anything, even if there's no moral, it's great. It was a wonderful one. I had a wonderful time reading it. Uh, that Kurt Vonnegut, he knew what he was doing. Funny, uh, always interesting. Um, uh, what am I gonna do now? Probably go take a shower. Um, pet my cat. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Um, thanks everybody again who emailed. Send me yourselves, uh, uh, uh saying the word sure. And I'll use it on the show. Thanks again to Abdul, the Magnificent. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll probably see you next week. I'm uh, Mike Leach, and this is a little literature. Sure.